following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm upward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, and let me stand. Catch a gleam of glory bright But still I'll pray till heaven I found Lord, lead me on to higher ground Lord, let me on Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I heard something that stunned me this past week. I was shocked. Now, I've known that these beliefs are rampant through the modern church. I also recognize that these beliefs have resulted in all manner of apostasy and wickedness. I recognize that these teachings that are so very popular today in the modern church have led the modern church into every kind of wickedness, while all the time professing we're saved. What happened? Well, I was listening to a radio station a Christian radio station and a very popular Washington pastor was at the end of his hour-long broadcast. And at the very end, he said, wait a minute, there's something I need to tell you. And my ears perked up. What is it that he needs to tell us that's so vital that it'll take the last few seconds of his radio broadcast? He said, I need to tell you this. And he was urgent in his appeal. He said, after you have been born again, you cannot be unborn. So you may sin against God. You may go the way of darkness. But God is going to save you in the end. You cannot be unborn. Once you become a child of God, you are always a child of God. I listened in stunned silence. I couldn't believe my ears. And yet I could. Because I know this lie is so very prominent in the church. And it's a part of a whole series of lies. Once saved, always saved limited atonement perseverance of God 
mean, all of it is combined into a house of cards. And if one of those cards gets pulled out, the whole house collapses. And men of great intellect have constructed this, what they consider, airtight. The problem is they have never taken the time to exegete John 3.16. They can't get around John 3.16. I began to pray for this man and plead God's mercy for him, for he is leading countless numbers of Christians down a highway that will not lead them to heaven. And I immediately began to think of very specific scriptures. Now, please, may I say this? I was raised in a holiness home that was legalistic. The belief was that you were saved by works and by faith. Very soon into my ministry, some nine years into my ministry... I turned from that and accepted the gospel of grace that I am saved no matter what, that I am justified and God covers over my sin. And then as some years passed, my heart became very agonized as the Holy Spirit quickened my heart and began to tell me that I was mistaken and I could see the results in my large congregation of preaching this positive thinking wickedness. I could see this sin in the hearts of my people and they were not turning from their sin. I didn't know what to do. What resulted was the Lord telling me to close that church. So I went to the elders and we closed it. And then for the next seven years, I had no public ministry. I simply spent my time reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation more than 50 times. Reading reading, studying, crying out to God, asking him to give me understanding. And at one point I said, Lord, am I to go back to my childhood beliefs? Is this about works? I was clear that was not the answer. And then the Lord began to unveil for me out of the word of God the message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The good news of the gospel, repent. And so I preached, repent, repent, repent. The National Prayer Chapel was founded on the message of repent, get right with God. But I didn't yet know how to live. And then by God's grace, the revelation came that the same way I am forgiven for my past sins by God's grace, in the same way I am made righteous now so that I do not walk in sin by grace, by God's grace, by a supernatural work of God in my heart and in my life to wash me, to cleanse me, to make me pure and clean before God so that there's no known sin of rebellion in my heart. Well, I wish I could sit with this pastor and read to him some scriptures. Because I don't want to offend him, I'm not going to ask him to do that. But I am going to read those scriptures to you. And I ask that you would just jot them down with a pen. And then I ask, please, would you go back and pray over these scriptures that I'm going to share with you? And I have them numbered in my Bible, one, two, three, four, five, in two different Bibles, because I want to use two different translations. I want to make it as plain to you as I can what the scriptures say. 
Now, please, don't believe Pastor Ray. Believe the Word of God. You are not going to be saved based on whether you believe my word or not. You are going to be saved or lost based on whether you believe the word of God. To me, the word of God is the final authority. It is the authority. As it is quickened by the Holy Spirit in your heart, he will direct you toward the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I don't want you to believe any preacher or any pastor until you have searched the scriptures for yourself. So please jot down these scriptures and then go back and pray over them. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Now let's pray. Lord, I dare not open your word and read these scriptures without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the heart, in my heart and in the hearts of the people who will listen. For, Lord, it is not my desire that they should any way be condemned, but it is my desire, Lord, that they should understand the gateway into heaven through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. I know the work of salvation you have shown me is entirely of grace. It is entirely by faith. But it makes us righteous in reality. So, Lord, would you guide our conversation? Please, I am trusting in you, Jesus, and in your Holy Spirit to unveil the truth of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. Romans, I'm going to begin reading with chapter 6, and I urge you to read the entire chapter. But I'm going to read for you beginning in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now, it's clear that this cannot be our immortal body. He's speaking about here and now in the mortal flesh, that is, flesh that will die. And all of our bodies are going to die. When we receive the new body, it's called an immortal body. So, Paul is referring to what's happening right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So, if the command is, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, there must be some means by which I no longer have to walk in sin in my mortal body. Otherwise, Paul is speaking utter foolishness. If it's impossible for me to live righteous before God, why would he command me to walk righteous before God? He says, Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, that is, the mortal body. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness, for sin will not rule over you. Sin will not rule over you in the mortal body. That's right now. Now, if you believe that you cannot stop sinning, then you are calling the Apostle Paul a liar, a fraud. Is he truly mistaken? Did he just not understand the gospel? All of the church fathers, the early church fathers, believed 
that it was necessary to live without sin in this life in order to enter into the next life. And Paul was the one who taught them that, along with Jesus and along with the other apostles. And I'm going to share from several of the other apostles. Now, he continues, verse 15, What then should we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? And his answer, absolutely not. That is, there is no possibility that that is acceptable before God. Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So there we have it. You see... This pastor was right in one sense. You cannot be unborn. But as one dear friend said, oh, you, you can't be unborn, but you can die spiritually. And sin is what causes you to die spiritually. It is rebellion against God. Now, obviously... If what I'm saying to you is true, and it's in the scripture, it's going to require of you a very serious amount of time, energy, prayer, and crucifixion to walk in accord with the will of God. It is a gift to walk without sin. But that gift does not come easily or cheaply. It will cost you that time, money, energy. It will mean you will have to focus your whole heart on Jesus Christ. And you will have to lay on your face before him. You will have to repent. You will have to become very serious about following Jesus. And if you don't, and you continue to walk in your sin, Paul is saying, you are then a slave to sin, and that slavery will lead you to death. Or obedience will lead you to righteousness. But that obedience is not a legalism. That obedience is the sovereign work of God in your life and in your heart as he captures you for the kingdom. It is a supernatural work of God to remove all of that wickedness from your heart. Thank God that you used to be slaves to sin. You obeyed the, the heart pattern of the teachings you were transferred to. I want to see you transferred out of this cheap, easy believism, this Gnosticism, this wicked teaching that you cannot be unborn. I want you to be transferred out of that into the real gospel of Jesus Christ, which is of righteousness and holiness, giving full attention to Jesus, obeying him, being consecrated to him, allowing his grace to work fully and freely in your life. Having been liberated from sin you became enslaved to righteousness. Have you been liberated from all sin? If you have not yet been liberated from all sin, you are dying. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. I want you to live for eternity with Jesus. And this cheap, easy believism, this wicked teaching that soothes your sin and says, oh, you cannot stop sinning as long as you live. You're always going to be a sinner. It's going to take you to death, not to life. I don't want you to die. 
I want you to live in the joy and the salvation of Jesus. It's something other than the Christian church in America knows very much about. It's cause for jumping and dancing and shouting. It's for praising Jesus with real praise. Because he is awesome. His love is amazing. The peace and the joy that floods my heart. How do I even begin to describe it for you? It's worth pursuing Jesus just for that alone, let alone for life eternal. Now I have another passage in the sixth chapter that I need to read for you. I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 21. It's talking about if you're a slave to sin. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, that's the second time he's spoken about this. You've been liberated from sin and you've been enslaved to God. Does that accurately describe your spiritual condition today? Have you made excuses for your sin? Now, a dear brother said to me yesterday, I used to listen to your broadcast and it made me so angry that I finally had to open my Bible and search for myself and see if what you were saying was actually in the Word. And he said, much to my chagrin, it was found in the Word, and I could not argue with it. And then I had to begin to consider my love for my sin. And he said, that's when I came to the National Prayer Chapel, and I came angry. And I wanted to prove you wrong. But I found it in the Word. How do I argue against the Word? Is my authority my experience? Is my authority my pastor? Is my authority my own feelings? Or is my authority the Scripture? Now, I had one dear lady say, No, Pastor, the Scriptures are not my authority. I kind of pick and choose which scriptures I like. And then I just read those. You know, Psalm 23, nice comforting passages of scripture. She says, I I do the Lord's prayer every day. God forgives me every day for my sins. She said, "I I don't like the scriptures you find. They make me angry, Pastor. So she'll come maybe once every six weeks to the prayer chapel, and then she runs again. What is your current experience with Jesus? Are you still living under the delusion of picking and choosing the scriptures you like? Or are you willing to listen to the whole word of truth? Now listen. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have fruit which results in sanctification or in holiness. And the end is eternal life. In other words, there is no eternal life without complete sanctification. Without leaving all sin, there's no salvation. You don't get to live your life to the end and then think that somehow when you die, Jesus is going to make you righteous. Look at Hebrews, the ninth chapter. It's very plain. When Jesus comes again, he is not coming to lift off of you the sin. He's done that at the cross. When he comes again, he's coming to bring the reward for those who have been liberated from sin. 
Now notice verse 23. This is Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Present tense. Right now it's death. If you're living in sin, you're living in death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, it's possible for you to live in eternal life right now. It's also possible for you to live in death right now. My brother, my sister, I don't want you to live in death. I want you to live in eternal life. My heart is so concerned for you. I don't want you to walk in death. I want you to walk in life. Now, why? Because I know if you're listening to this broadcast, the Holy Spirit is prompting you and calling you. Otherwise, you'd have turned it off a long time ago. There's something in your heart that the Holy Spirit is grabbing a hold of. He wants you. Now listen to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'll begin reading to you from verse 12. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, that is, the wicked flesh, to live in accordance with the flesh. For if in accordance with flesh you live, present tense, now, you are certain to die eternally. But if by the Spirit you daily kill the practices of your body, you will live eternally. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now let me turn to another passage of Scripture. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I'll begin with verse 22. That you are to put off once for all. In other words, right now, put off everything that is of sin in your life. Concerning the former way of life, the old man, the one being depraved according to the desires of delusion. <clears throat> so Paul is saying, look, there's only one way that you can live without sin right now in your life. That is, if you put off everything that is depraved according to the delusion, this old man, this carnal nature, you, for one time, you put off the whole deal. You make a decision. Will I believe the word of God and will I grant to him authority over my life? It says, and to be made new again. And that word new in the Greek is literally that which has never before existed. In other words, this is not an improved you. This is a brand new you. This is a total change. I just heard about a man. His family came to church. He stayed home. He was not walking with Jesus. He was worldly. He didn't want anyone to talk to him about Jesus. He didn't want to be confronted with his sin, but his sons kept doing it. They came home from church, and they found him laying on the floor, and they thought he was dead. They quickly called 911. He was rushed to the hospital. And when he regained consciousness, he was a new man. 
his heart turned entirely to Jesus. He was a new man. He had looked death in the face and said, I don't want to go there. And he turned his heart to Jesus Christ. Now I have to tell you, in the week or so since that has happened, his family is absolutely astonished because their testimony is this man is a brand new man. He is devouring the word of God. When he is with them, he is talking only about Jesus. In fact, the family's gotten a little upset with him. He talks so much about Jesus and they were supposed to be the Christians. This man is radically given to Jesus. Well, all of us don't have the opportunity to go look death in the face. Some of us just die. And it's over. You have an opportunity today to look death in the face. To recognize that you've been told falsehoods. To recognize that what you have believed about eternal security is not to be found in the scriptures. That you must leave your sin and be born again. And that you can die spiritually and you can lose everything if you pursue your sin. Listen, this is Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 22 that you are to put off once for all concerning the former way of life, the old man, the one being depraved according to the desires of delusion, and to be new again in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, the one having been created in conformity with God, in righteousness, holiness, of truth. In other words, God wants to make you into a new person. This is not a matter of your struggling and trying to become a new person. This is a matter of submitting to Jesus and to the truth of Scripture and asking him to come and do a sovereign work of grace in your life. It is, as we've said before, choosing to divorce the delusion of the devil and walk clean in Jesus Christ. Now, I need to turn to another scripture for you. In 1 John, the fifth chapter, I want to begin reading for you in verse 18. We know that Everyone having been born out of God is not sinning. Present tense. If you are continuing to sin, it is an indicator that you have never been born again. You may have gone up to the altar and you may have raised your hand and said, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But if you continued to walk in sin, that was an action of the flesh. It was a delusion. You now must turn to the real Jesus of Scripture. And the real Jesus of Scripture calls for repentance, to turn from that sin. Now, please... I know I'm a voice in the wilderness that the majority of Christians in our United States of America will totally disagree with me. I'm not trying to be popular. I don't have a popularity contest to win. I'm not trying to be somebody. I'm simply trying to be faithful to the Word of God and believe that what it says is true. Now, if I'm mistaken, if I have not read correctly the Scripture, please tell me. 
But if I've correctly read what the Bible says, then please explain to me why the scriptures are false. And will you base your life on your own beliefs and that of perhaps your pastor or your church? Or are you going to take charge yourself of your eternal salvation and read the scriptures carefully and turn and be saved? We know First John 5, verse 18, we know that everyone having been born out of God, that is, born from above or born again, is not sinning, present tense, not future tense, present tense. But the one having been born out of God is continually keeping himself, and the wicked one is not touching him. If you are hidden in Jesus, you are not hidden in the devil. If you are hidden in Jesus, you are not walking in darkness. You're walking in the light. Now, please, I'm trying to be very careful, sequential. I'm trying to give you the true word of Scripture today that counters this false claim by this very popular pastor who says he is an expert in theology and counseling and reconciliation. He's an he's a expert in it. But he disagrees radically with the Scriptures. He doesn't agree with the Word of God. Now, please, I'll read another passage. This is the third chapter of 1 John. I begin with verse 4. Everyone doing the sin also continues doing the lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It is rebellion against God. It is volitional. It is voluntary. It is a conscious choice that you are going to walk in wickedness. You are going to go your own way. He says, John says, in fact, the sin is lawlessness. And you know that the one was manifested so that he may take away our sin. He may take away. He may remove. Now, the Levitical animals could not remove our sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ can. Notice, indeed there is no sin in him. Jesus did not sin. Everyone, verse 6, everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. So John is saying, look, if you're continuing to walk in lawlessness, and that's the claim of the modern church, you're saved, you can sin, you're still saved, everything's okay. No, it's not. That's not what the Gospel of John teaches. It's not what the book of John, First John, teaches. It's not what Romans 6, 7, and 8 teaches. This is not the Word of God. It's a false teaching. It is heresy. You know, it's been around a long time. Because a teaching has been around for a long time does not make it right. Verse 7, little children, you must not let anyone deceive you. The one continuously doing the righteousness or the one who is continually innocent is righteous just as the one is righteous or just as Jesus is righteous. The one continually doing the sin is out of the devil, 
because the devil sins from a beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest so that he may destroy the works of the devil. If you claim today that you still walk in sin, then you deny that Jesus can destroy the works of the devil. And if you deny that Jesus can destroy the works of the devil, you are saying that his crucifixion was pointless, that the blood of Jesus is no more important and no more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. And if you're saying, when I die, I'll be made righteous, you're saying that death is your Savior, not Jesus Christ. Do you want to say that, really? I don't want to say that. Verse 9, everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin. How can it be stated any more plainly than this? Isn't this as plain as the nose on your face? Isn't this clear to your heart? But if you say, Pastor, I've tried as hard as I can, and I can't leave my sin. Well, of course you can't. It's true. I tried as hard as I could, and I could not leave my sin. But Jesus can remove that sin from your heart, and he can make you righteous. It's not by works, it's by faith. In the blood of Jesus, it is a sovereign work of grace that God does in us as he delivers us and destroys the devil's work in our heart and in our life. It says, because his seed continues to remain in him. In other words, God will plant in the heart of a human being his seed. I'd like to put it as a radioactive substance that begins to radiate out of us that transforms us that makes us shine with brilliant light it is the presence of god in us you don't get the presence of god by trying hard and you certainly do not get the presence of god by continuing to walk in lawlessness now notice he is not able to keep on sinning because he has been born out of God. But the children of God and the children of the devil are evident. Everyone not continuing to do righteousness is not out of God. In fact, neither is the one not continuing to love his brother. For this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we may love one another, not as Cain who was out of the wicked one and murdered his brother. For what reason did he murder him? Because his works were wicked, but his brothers were righteous. So do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed over out of death into life because we love the brethren. On that condition, that one is not loving the brother, he remains in death Everyone hating his brother is a murderer, and you know that every murder has no eternal life remaining in himself. Now, I don't bring this message to you out of sternness. I don't bring this message to you out of hardness of heart. I bring this message to you because my heart is broken with many of you who have insisted on remaining lukewarm or cold of heart instead of coming to Jesus and allowing your heart to be changed and made new. That's only going to happen as you begin to spend a great deal of time and energy searching the scriptures. Now, I've given these scriptures to you today, ask you to please jot them down because it's very important that you go back and, and read them 
Now, there are some who want to speak of holiness. They are rigid. They are hard-edged. They are miserable to be around. They are full of judgments and condemnations. That's not the heart of Jesus. And so I don't come with any judgment against this brother who spoke these wicked words. I don't come speaking judgment against any of you who have been lost in your sins. Rather, I come with a heart weeping in mercy, saying, please, will you consider what you've heard today? Will you look carefully at the scriptures that I've shared with you? Will you recognize that Jesus loves you? He doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to send you to to hell. He doesn't want to send you to death. He loves you. And he wants you to turn from your sin. He doesn't want your heart to be hard and judgmental and bitter. And there's no heart as bitter as a legalist. There's no heart as hard as a bitter legalist who who says, I'm right. I have accusations hurled at me all the time by legalists, by others who believe that you can continue walking in your sin and still be saved. I get it from both sides. It's okay. Some called Jesus a drunkard, a wine-bibber, because he sat and ate with the, with the wicked. Why would he do that? Well, because he's no respecter of persons. He loves even the wicked. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should have everlasting life. You're part of the whosoever. Even if you're a legalist, you're still part of the whosoever. And even if you're believing in the sinning Christian, you're still part of the whosoever. You're not condemned before God. You're invited. Today is the day of salvation. You're invited to enter into the joy of being made new, of being transformed into his likeness. In Romans 8, let me begin with verse 18. Now I logically think that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed with reference to us. In other words, Paul is saying in Romans 8, look, the glory that we're looking forward to is nothing compared to the little bit of pain we suffer as we repent and by the power of the blood cast off the sin. He's saying, indeed, the creation is with head stretched forward, alertly, is eagerly expecting the revelation of the sons of God. He's saying the whole creation is waiting for you to get clean before God. For the creation was subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one having subjected it in the hope that also the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Now we know that every every creature groans together and travails together until now. And not only they, but also ourselves having the foretaste of the Spirit. Even we ourselves within ourselves groan, eagerly awaiting sonship, the redemption of our body. For in the hope, and literally in the hope of the resurrection, we are saved. Now we have just a few minutes left in this broadcast today. My heart is deeply stirred for you. I've tried to be just totally non-emotional and lay out for you the case from Scripture. 
that says if you continue to walk in sin, you will die. There is no grace to cover you. There's no blanket to cover over your sin. You must walk clean before God. You must be given to the Holy Spirit. You must be washed. That's going to require on your part entire consecration to Jesus. It's going to require turning off all of the elements of today's smorgasbord of entertainment. The video games, the movies, the sports. It's going to require a full court press on your part to get right with Jesus. Are you willing to do that? I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, your word is absolutely clear and cannot be mistaken. It can only be ignored, but ignored at our own risk. Lord, I plead today for your people. I plead for each family, each person listening to this broadcast, that you will come in great power and you will deliver that you will deliver each man, each woman, each boy and girl, that you will exercise sovereign power to go after them, to draw them to yourself, to win them with your love, your mercy, your compassion. Lord, I plead for the salvation of those listening today. I plead for those who are struggling for those who know they are walking in rebellion against you. I plead, Jesus, that you will turn their heart. And Jesus, for those, for those who know the weakness of their own heart, would you go and strengthen them today? Would you pour in the oil and the wine? Would you heal the wounds of their spirit? Would you encourage them today in the walk of holiness and salvation by your blood jesus there are two groups those in rebellion and those who are sold out to you lord i'm asking that you would go and move in both groups by your grace and by your power thank you lord jesus i pray in your holy name amen you've been listening to pilgrim's progress I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'd like to welcome you to come and visit the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find videos, podcasts that will help you. It's a brand new webpage. Go look at it. There's also a donate button on that page, and we have yet for anyone to push that donate button. Would you be the first? To tell you the truth, I'd rather you just send a check in the mail because that donate button, if you use a credit card, they'll take 2% plus a little bit. My brother, my sister, Jesus is awesome. He will save you completely. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.